setting themselves as the standard and saying they don't measure up to us so we can talk about them in ways that make us not have to deal with their perspective head on. In fact, the more we learn about them, the less we like them. And so they are the repugnant cultural other. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. So in her article, Representing Fundamentalism, Susan Harding, a sociologist, um, coined a term which has quickly gained some fashion um, and people are beginning to use it more often. Um, the subtitle of her article was Encountering the, Repub- the Repugnant Cultural Other. And that language has been picked up. The Repugnant Cultural Other. Her article was about the way that journalists and intellectuals more generally speak about those who are religiously conservative. First of all, grouping them all into one group, whether they have different creeds or not, and then um, treating them as though they don't have reasons of their own for doing things that have some kind of integrity to them. Treating them as reactionaries, treating them as basically degenerate moderns setting themselves as the standard and saying they don't measure up to us so we can talk about them in ways that make us not have to deal with their perspective head on. In fact, the more we learn about them, the less we like them. And so they are the repugnant cultural other. Um, And I bring this topic to your attention today because that is exactly who Jesus is talking about when he talks about the Samaritan in today's story. The Samaritan was the repugnant cultural other for the Jew of Jesus' day. In fact, as our story commences, just a few paragraphs before, as this sort of section of scriptures opening up, we're told that Jesus goes into a Samaritan village and they will not receive him because he had his face set toward Jerusalem. And what that meant was he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Samaritans routinely made fun of Jews who were on their way to Jerusalem um, and refused them the hospitality that those who are followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob owe one another. And they are followers of that God. The Samaritans are separated Jews. They don't worship the same way that the Jews do. There's a whole huge Old Testament history to how the two groups got separated from each other. To learn it, I encourage you to come and take Michael's Bethel Bible series class. (laughs) It's a shameless plug. Um, But the Samaritans and the Jews, by the point of time when Jesus comes along, are separated from one another, and the Jews have ample reason to hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans think Jews are ridiculous 
for spending the time, energy, and money necessary for these trips to Jerusalem to celebrate the High Holy Days. Because they've built altars on the, on the hilltops nearby and they can just go right up there. And so they make fun of the Jews as the Jews travel through their town and they refuse them hospitality. So there's a practical reason as well as a theological reason that the Jews and the Samaritans dislike one another. So with that background, look at the story as it commences in our reading today. First, this lawyer, this, this debater of doctrine, and that's what the lawyer meant. A lawyer was someone who kept records uh, of the law in the, in the temple. So this is a theological lawyer. Um, he wants to test Jesus, we're told. He wants to test the rabbi, see, see how good he is, and ask, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him back to his own domain of expertise. Well, tell me about the law. What does the law say? How do you understand the law? And this man says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, there must have been something in the do this and you will live. Maybe in Jesus' tone of voice that made the man feel defensive <laughs> because he immediately starts trying to justify himself I mean he's just said love God love your neighbor Jesus says if you do this you'll live and he goes oh well, well who is my neighbor really I mean now we're going to start qualifying things right well we're, we're Lutherans are sort of the number one thing in our constitution theologically is saved by justified by grace through faith so when we hear about somebody trying to justify themselves, our radar should start going off. Something is going on here. And Jesus is essentially communicating to this man, you can know the law word perfect. You can say to me, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And not be loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And your theology can just become the quickest elevator to your own damnation. If you do not know how to love. How do we love? And this probably points us to the reason why Jesus chose the Samaritan to be the hero of this story. I mean, Jesus just got kicked out of a Samaritan village too. He understands why Jews don't like Samaritans. In his story, two Jews refuse to help another Jew who's been beaten and left for dead in a ditch. And you understand why? Because if he's been beaten, there's probably blood, and blood makes you ritually unclean. So these good priests and Levites don't want to get unclean, so they won't even help a fellow Jew who's, who's been beaten and left for dead. But a Samaritan, who would also be made ritually unclean by that same blood, sees the man, helps him, and at great personal expense of time, energy, and money, does everything he can to help him. And Jesus is pointing out to him that this is the nature of love. Love doesn't ask what the qualifier is. Who counts as my neighbor? Love gives over and above simply the law of reciprocity. This is not do unto others as you think they'll do unto you or as they've done unto you. That's Confucianism. Love says, I will do above and beyond 
what this person would do for me. The Samaritan in this story does more than the Jew who is lying in the ditch would have ever done for him. And so demonstrates the nature of love. And this Jew, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, well, he's going for the Passover feast, but we, living on the other side of the cross and resurrection, knows what he will do when he gets there. He will be crucified and do more for us and our salvation, taking into himself the sins of the entire world that they might be forgiven than we will ever do for him or would ever do for him. He's showing us the nature of love. Some of you know, um, know who Mahatma Gandhi is. He was a wonderful leader, um, led the Indian uh, nation to independence, and the, probably one of the very few, if not the only, truly bloodless revolution in the sense that there weren't two sides fighting. Quite a few Indians were killed, but the, they never fought back. They, they gained their freedom through peaceful resistance. Um, when Gandhi was assassinated, there was only one picture hanging in his home. And it was a picture of Jesus. And beneath that picture it said, Christ is our peace. He learned the principles by which he led this bloodless revolution directly from Jesus. And he told a wonderful parable of his own about the nature of love that's helpful in illustrating it. Um, if you've never been to India, there's not a lot of good plumbing, so what's common are rain barrels. This just collect rainwater for drinking. Um, and so we don't see them a lot in our cultures, but the parable revolves around a rain barrel. And in the rain barrel is an ant that's drowning. Well, one man sees, sees the ant and says, Huh. Hmm. And he keeps going because there's nothing in the rules about what he's supposed to do for ants. He can remain perfectly righteous without caring for the ant. Another man sees the ant and thinks to himself, well, if I was drowning, I'd want someone to save me. So he reaches in and scoops out the ant and puts it on the ground and continues on his way. A third man sees an ant drowning in a barrel and he picks the ant out, puts the ant on the ground, and then gives it a lump of sugar. The third man knew the nature of love. Love gives over and above what would be expected in return. Love looks at the repugnant cultural other and says, I'm called to love that person. Even if they beat me and despise me and maybe even kill me in return. Christianity conquered the Roman Empire not simply by people holding up under torture, but by them loving those who hated them in return. And so showing the love of Christ to them. Our world talks about allies. God's world and Jesus' morality only talks about hopefully potential friends. People who are meant to be reached out to in love whether or not they ever respond in kind. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. We lack the ability to do that on our own. But when we hear this story, when we think of who our repugnant cultural other is, and pick a group, what group? If Jesus was telling you this parable on the street corner, what group could he put in as the hero of the line and you would check out at that moment? Those are the ones. They can't be the heroes. That's who you're called to love.
And Christians are called to show the love of Christ to the world. It's that kind of costly love we're talking about. We lack the strength in us to do it, which is why we ask for the strength of Christ to do it. That He might dwell in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and give us the strength to do what we could not do on our own. Love like He has loved us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, because we lack this strength to live as we ought to live, to truly love, to reach out to those who we most despise, we ask that you would dwell in us. Give us your strength. Keep our eyes focused on you who have already given that much for us that we may have the strength to give some of that same kind of love to others. Lord, if all there is is strength in the exercise of that, the world is caught in in perpetual bloodshed and hatred of one another. But if we can learn to reach out to those who are not like us, with love. Not to affirm, but rather to love. To, in the midst of our differences, embrace one another as people made in your image and bought at the same costly price of your blood. Lord, we might truly be a sign of your kingdom. Grant us the strength to do this thing all the days of our life. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.